Hi guys, Liz Wheeler here. I sat down with former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, and talked about her experience working in what's maybe the deepest of the deep state agencies in the executive branch at the federal government. And the conversation was fascinating because I asked her to give me examples of what some of these swamp creatures did to her when she was Secretary of Education. We know that education in general at the federal level, and particularly the Department of Education, is co-opted by these very radical leftist teachers unions. And this is true not just for the political appointees at the top. This is true for even staffers. Secretary DeVos told me stories of what specific staffers did to try to sabotage her when she was at the Department of Education. And I think that you will really enjoy this. By the way, if you want to see interviews like this sooner, if you want exclusive early access, you can join us over on Locals at LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. You will, you'll get exclusive early access, but you'll also be able to enjoy other benefits like we did uh, a live recently talking about the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago kind of as it was happening, as the facts were unfolding. So a lot of fun stuff happening over there. LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. If you use my promo code ACCESS, you can watch for free for the first month of your annual subscription. Without further ado, here's Secretary DeVos. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back. I'm sitting here at the Young America's Foundation Conference in Washington, D.C. with a very special guest. With me now is the former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Secretary, good to see you. It's good to see you, Liz. This is so exciting to sit here. I mean, you were on the forefront. You are on the forefront. But we're so in a very uh, specific, significant way being in charge of the Department of Education. That's where I want to start. You made comments recently about the Department of Education saying that you think it should be completely abolished. This was music to my ears. But tell me from your perspective on the inside why you said that. Well, having spent four years there, I mean, I felt this way essentially before going to Washington, but it was really confirmed being there because uh, what we do is have taxpayers send money to Washington. Uh, it rolls around in the department. It gets reissued with lots of strings attached, and it doesn't really add value to what's going on in the states and local communities. And for, for one who thinks that parents and families should be at the center of K-12 education making those decisions, it takes it one step further away. And uh, it was very difficult to get a lot of meaningful things done. We did get things done, but there's a lot of resistance within, and um, it's just another large federal bureaucracy. It is. I always say it might be the best, well, the best or the worst example of the administrative state. Talk to me about that resistance. I mean, being on the inside, you work not just with high-level administrative officials. You work with this, this whole um, cadre of employees. Did you encounter a lot of personal resistance? Did you give directives and orders that weren't carried out because the people who were supposed to administer them disagreed ideologically? Yes. Yes. And it happened both internally there and with other agencies with whom we had to interact for different rulemaking procedures or whatever. Um, yeah, there was resistance everywhere. And, uh, you know, Can you give me an now, example now of something? To be, to be fair, there were some really great people, and I was fortunate to work with some really great ones that have been, made it their career. But, uh, well, one of them was uh, our first budget while we were in the back and forth, the normal back and forth between the White House and the department on the budget, what we were going to present to Congress, and then I would have to go and argue and defend. Uh, someone from within the department um, took a copy of it and gave it to the Washington Post, and it was published in the Washington Post in its entirety. 
Um, and so it was basically sabotaging our discussions and our debate on where we were going to prioritize the uh, requests for funding. Do you know who did it? We do. And we went and pursued that individual. And uh, the, the worst that could be uh, levied we couldn't, couldn't be fired. Uh, they could take a, f- a five-day suspended pay, um, you know, th- th- as the penalty. And when I left, they were still appealing it to one of three different agencies within the federal government that does these sort of things. Five days suspended pay? Five days with pay. With pay? No, it was with pay. Sorry, oh, I missed it. So no. five days off, a five-day five day vacation. Five days off. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the mm-hmm. swampiest swamp. So g- given what you saw inside, I mean, how, how much influence does do the teachers' unions have over the Department of Education? They have a ton of influence, and and whether they're whether the um, administration supports them or not, even while we were there, they had so much influence over those within the department, and so much influence over members of Congress that are part of the Democrat Party, that ninety nine point seven percent of their contributions go to, and so they continue to really expand on their power by, uh, you know, keeping a stranglehold on those individuals that are in serving in in, uh, the federal government. Tell me how that works specifically for an executive agency, because I understand in Congress, you know, the teachers unions donate a ton of money. They were the the members of Congress rely on that money. And so they kowtow to what the teachers unions want. When there's a Republican president, as there was when you served, and you have a Republican agenda, a, parent, a parent's first agenda at the Department of Education, how is that influence from the teachers unions levied at that executive agency? Uh, by delaying, by uh, ignoring, by you know, just doing everything possible to make it difficult to advance the policies that we were advancing. So things that should have taken you know a fraction of the amount of time took weeks and months, and um, you know that was just par for the course. But you know the Biden administration now has an actual liaison to the teachers union, sitting in the department of, in the office of the secretary. So this is. This is like their focus. And um, whereas we were focused entirely on doing the right thing for students, students were our focus. Uh, their focus is on their benefactors, the, the teachers union and all of their allies. It's like spies, isn't it? In the it, Department it, of Education. It, yes. And there, there were very, that felt very much that way in many more than one circumstances. And yeah. the shocking thing to me is always that these people can't be fired, that they can't be reassigned because they're protected civil servants. They, they, right. The, the president, even if they have different ideological beliefs, can't actually staff his own executive agencies. What, what would you say is the worst thing that you saw that would shock parents and, and non-parents that are just taxpayers um, about what's happening in, I guess, in our education system at large, but specifically in the Department of Education? Well, there are a number of examples that I cite in my book about how they continued to make things difficult or throw up roadblocks to everything we were trying to do. And uh, one of the, but one of the experiences we had was uh, on my first or second day in office, there was a website that was meant to serve uh, students with disabilities for parents, a, a, a resource that most people said they didn't even know it existed. Well, somehow it disappeared the first day I was there. And then there was an immediate allegation that I had intentionally 
shut it down. And that was my goal was to ultimately upend IDEA and not support students with disabilities. There were all kinds of... But you never gave the directive for it to be shut down. Nothing, nothing of the sort. And in fact, we came back around and actually put up a website that was helpful and meaningful. And I think today is still being used in a meaningful way. So someone did this just as a character assassination without permission. And and these sorts of things happened regularly. Mm -hmm. And often it was within the department. Sometimes it was between the department and other agencies that we had to deal with. But there there was constant pushback, either overt or, or covert, on against everything and anything that we did. What about the attitude of the staff in the Department of Education? And I'm, I'm talking everybody towards parents. Did you encounter respect or disrespect for parents who wanted to be involved with their children's education? Parents weren't even part of their lexicon, uh, and nor were students. It was really all about issues that were supporting the system, uh, the status quo, and their power and their ability to have influence over it. And so it was, we, you know, I had a great core team that I was able to bring in as political appointees. And like I said, there were a few that we found within the department that we worked very well with, but many of them were at best uh, neutral and many of them were at worst very negative and worked regularly against everything we were trying to do. A lot of our taxpayer money is spent on educational programs. And theoretically, this this sounds fine, right? We want all, children all over the country, regardless of their background and their circumstances, their families, to be well-educated. This is an amazing American enterprise. But that 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 goodwill that stems from human nature, that even if we don't know the children, we want them, we want the best for them, that goodwill has been abused by the left. Um, it's been abused because if you oppose any kind of program, that is under the heading of an education program, then you suddenly don't want kids to be taught to read or write. Talk to me about some of these programs that abuse taxpayer monies. That it's worse than just abuse because it actually takes that money that could be spent productively on on children's education and uses it for a nefarious purpose. What's what are some of the programs where you feel taxpayer money is abused the worst? Well, let me just say that most people don't know that only eight or nine percent of K-12 education funding actually comes from the federal government. Most of it comes from the state and local local taxpayers, local community. And so what we do is, you know, Congress appropriates billions and billions of dollars. At last count, it was around $80 billion a year, aside from the COVID relief funds, about $80 billion that will go to the department to sort of move around in the department add strings to it, and then send it back to the states with all kinds of strings attached. There is no added value to what they do. And uh, this continues to be the case. It can, continues to um, uh, burden um, states and local communities from doing things that are more oriented around what will work in that state. And so the, the notion that we should continue to fund a federal department where uh, the, you know, the outside um, players, including the teachers unions, the school unions, and all of the allies, the alphabet soup that goes along with them, all they do is really consolidate their power through the department and uh, and get their way then in, uh, you know, tentacles down into the states because of the way it's constructed and, and the, the way that it plays out. And so there's, there's countless programs, countless 
uh, grant programs that are competitive, competitive, but um, depending on the administration, will you'll add you know different points for you know different ideological bents, and we see it in this administration. They they add all kinds of points to achieve their ideological goals that continue to take more and more uh, opportunity away from parents and from kids. Yeah, I think the dear, the, the example that's coming to my mind, listening to what you're saying, is the Dear Colleague letter about uh, the transgender bathrooms in schools. That's mm-hmm. a clear ideological bent that doesn't have to do with the quality mm-hmm. of education. So the, the question or the allegation that you will receive, I'm sure, I don't have to tell you this, in response to calling for the Department of Education to be abolished is what happens to the children whose parents can't afford to send them to private school, who rely on the public school system? What happens to our public school system if we don't have a centralized Department of Education? Well, uh, actually, nothing would happen to them because they're all constituted really at the state level. And every state is responsible for the policies surrounding the traditional public education, government-run system. And what we're seeing in states across the country today is a move to support parents and to fund students rather than funding those systems, most of which goes through the go, goes through state governments. So, you know, only eight or nine percent at the federal level, uh, more than 90 percent at the state and local level. Those policies are ultimately changing the, uh, you know, the, the, the balance, the scale in favor of families and in favor of students. When you fund students directly with the money that's already being spent on them, when you make that uh, up to the parents to decide whether they are going to still choose the traditional assigned school or if they're going to choose something different, you're going to get a much better range of choices to begin with. And ultimately, you're going to get better education opportunities and ultimately better education outcomes because the competition is going to make everyone better. And interestingly enough, um, parents across the spectrum support school choice policies. It's the liberals in Washington, D.C. that don't. But parents, regardless of their demographic, know that school choice is best for their families. That's right. More than 70%. It might be the only issue. I say this sometimes on my show. It might be the only issue or one of the very few issues that Republicans are in a position where they can actually poach voters from the other side or not poach, but convince voters that what, what we're offering is best for them. And there's not many issues that people are willing to switch party votes on. And this might be Um, one of them. Last question for you is, what do you consider to be your biggest accomplishment? What are you proudest of doing at the Department of Education? Well, first of all, we turned the entire department around to be focused on students and everything supporting students. And then we took that, uh, that orientation and got rid of all kinds of regulations that were cumbersome and burdensome and, and didn't have anything to do with helping and supporting students. And we oriented every policy move and every uh, regulatory move that we did around what was best for students and what was best for families and did everything we could to push power back out to the states and local communities. And that has, you know, that is, uh, I think, what should happen. Uh, Again, I don't think the department ultimately plays a value added role in education. And so it really should go away and we should continue to empower families. We should continue to empower them to make the choices and decisions for their kids in an, in an environment of education freedom. Right. I would almost say that you you got the ball rolling on this whole movement that we've seen across the country where parents are saying, wait a second, we want to be involved. We see what, through Zoom school, for better or for worse, we see what's being poured into the minds of our children. Exactly. We need to take this back. One of my 
favorite things that was accomplished at the Department of Education under your tenure was restoring due process to college students who may or may not be falsely accused, but yes. regardless, they deserve the right to due process. That's one of the things you were hit by the left the hardest, but it was one of the things that I thought, this is this has far-reaching implications outside of education. This is a bedrock foundation of our country, and you played a huge part in that. Absolutely. Well, and that's threatened now with the Biden administration's proposed Title IX rule. And I urge all of your listeners to get out there, uh, opine on this. It's public comment period right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let your voice be heard that we cannot and we best not turn back on due process protections for all students. Right. Especially given given what we see now in this toxic Me Too environment where men are facing false allegations, sometimes false allegations. And when they do, they're not being afforded due process. It's it's execution by public opinion, character execution, at least by public opinion. They want the accusation to equal a conviction. Nobody on either side of the aisle wants their son or their husband or their brother or any friend to be subject to that particularly when they're students and they're vulnerable to that on college campuses. Let me, I want to share the name of your book. Your book is Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. This is exactly, this kind of book is exactly what our country needs. Do you want to tell our viewers where they can find this? You can find the book anywhere you buy your books. Uh, and I also did the audiobook if you're an audiobook listener. Oh, that's fun to do, isn't it? Yes. I, I did the same thing for my book. I really enjoyed it. It's funny, that question is much different now that we have Amazon and Barnes & Noble online. Because it used to be, you'd say, you know, the brick and mortar store where you could find it. Now it's just everyone buys it from Amazon. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Secretary DeVos, thank you for sitting down with me. This was really nice. great. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone who watched. As always, if you want exclusive uh, early access to interviews just like this, you can join us at LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. We'll talk again soon, my friends. 